everyone. Welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. This is Elizabeth, and I'm joined today by Emily and Franny to wrap up our three-part series on daycare or childcare. In this third session, we're going to start off by talking about the transition from the infant room, if you're in a large center, up to the wobbler or toddler room, whatever your center calls it, which really involves the transition from more than one nap to one nap, which is a struggle for many parents. We'll hit on some logistical stuff as well, um, like pumping and daycare, feeding both babies who refuse to eat at daycare or eat much better at daycare, um, uh, child care places that are unfamiliar with baby-led weaning, things like that. Um, the morning routine, how to get yourself ready when you're also dealing with the baby. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the pros to daycare. And, and I suppose it mixed in there, we're going to need to talk about the cons as well. So we'll talk about things like um, sickness and, and bonding and learning to socialize and things like that. And if we have time, hopefully we'll stick to something like 40 minutes for this podcast. If we have time, then We'll start talking at the end a little bit about, um, you know, sort of that that guilt that we as parents, and, and I hesitated to say it, but it's probably true, as mothers feel about uh, leaving our children in someone else's care for much of the day, and the kind of, you know, myths about, um, you know, whether there are any long-term effects to the child because there have actually been very few studies done on this. So if we get to that, we'll talk to it. But let's start off with um, talking about that transition from two to one naps. And I'll ask um, I'll ask Franny to go ahead and, and start with her daughter's experience because you were at an at-home child care. And, and if there was any struggle that you remember in moving from two to one naps, particularly yeah. at her place. Yeah, well, that's it's funny that we'll, we'll start with me because that the advantage that I found to having an in-home is that they work with her, right? So there was no sort of infant room and toddler room. There was, you know, a cohort of kids that were still taking morning naps and a cohort of kids who weren't. Um, and so it was a pretty seamless transition for us as much as the two-to-one nap transition can be seamless and that the days that she wanted to nap, she did, and the days that she didn't want to, that was fine. So they didn't really force anything on her because they had a separate room for the babies that were napping in the morning. And she was a little strange that she dropped her afternoon nap instead of her morning nap. Um, so, you know, and then we were like moving to shift that morning nap later and later. So they really were great in just following our lead. And as long as there was somebody else at the daycare center who was napping at the same time than she was, then they were able to accommodate it. So we were actually pretty lucky that they worked around us. So at home, did you feel like you were kind of following their lead at home? Um, Not so much because she like, you know, I remember thinking that I had to re-nap train her. She was 13 months old. So she was on the younger end. Of, of normal. And she was not falling asleep for her afternoon nap anymore. And I was getting really frustrated and thinking I had to, you know, nap train her a second time. And then I sort of realized, and this was the early days of finding precious little sleep, that it was possible that she was just dropping it. Um, and so she was taking like a 10 to 12 nap. And then I'd try to put her down again at two-ish and she just wouldn't mm-hmm. sleep. So she kind of led the way in terms of the transition because she was just like, look, I'm done. Like, you know, you can leave me in the crib as long as you want, but I'm not going to sleep. So, um, you know, when we sort of figured out that was what was going on, we could, you know, put her down for the early 
nap at 10.30 and let her sleep till 12.30 and give her lunch. And then eventually it became 11. And so we just sort of stayed in touch with daycare and they worked with us and said, you know, whatever you guys want to do, whatever time she's used to napping on the weekends or when she really just seems tired, we'll work together to figure out, um, you know, the best time to put her down. And, um, and they really just collaborated with us on that in a really great way. Well, that sounds like the ideal scenario. Um, Emily, did you have something similar or different when your daughter transitioned? So with us, because we are in a uh, larger center, they do have the separate rooms. So when she moved up to the to- the young toddler room, is what it's called at our uh, at our center, um, that is when I decided just to follow the lead of our fellow podcaster and precious little sleeper, Melissa, and just mm-hmm. jump it, jump in with both feet and not try to do a gradual transition. So when she moved up to that room, they're all on one nap, all at the same time. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do the same at home. Let's just have it all the same. And it it surprisingly worked. Um, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, she was basically refusing to nap in the infant room. So she was already kind of acclimated to really long wake time. So that kind of worked in our favor, I guess. <laughs> um, so I, I would say she went from taking one half hour nap in the infant room to her first day in the toddler room. She took a hour and a half nap which was, you know, much less than the other kids took. But for me, I got there and I was like, woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I sympathize. I know exactly how you feel on that. Because That's awesome. That was my yeah. second, you know, she, my second child transition, you know, at around 12 months, that's what they do. You know, as soon as they start walking, basically, they put them in what they call the wobbler room at the place that we were. And, um, and she hadn't been napping very well in the infant room, but then she had, you know, a two-hour solid chunk of time. The entire room is made dark. Everybody sleeps on their little yep. cot, you know, that's very close to the floor. And the and the childcare workers wander around the room and and pat each child on the back. They actually they figure it's amazing. They figure out exactly yeah. the way your well, child needs to be patted. They're awesome. I yeah. haven't quite figured out mine yet. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the fun irony for me was that what they did there never worked for me at home. Of course not. So, yeah. you know, That'd be too easy. It would be too easy. Exactly. So, you know, they There's had, something they to be said out, for peer, you know. There's oh, something yeah. to be said for peer pressure the too. Peer pressure. But I do I really do sympathize with the parents who are stressed about the transition when their child isn't yet ready to move to one nap. Because my first child, my son, he moved, you know, at eleven or twelve months. He started walking quite early and it was early to go to one nap and it was early for him. And at home we kept giving him two naps until he was fifteen months old. And, you know, yeah. it 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 kind of dawned on me one day that I was really, really fighting to get that first nap in and it was time for it to go. But, you know, we had a good three, four months where at home he was taking two solid naps and at daycare he was only taking one. And so, you know, for the listeners out there who are worried about that kind of thing and this is your child, then I would just say, you know, you have to deal with evenings a little bit differently because they do have a somewhat longer wake time in the afternoon coming home. And you might want to adjust bedtime a bit earlier during that time. But again, you know, on the days that you're home on the weekend, feel free to do what your child needs and do what's different from daycare. But I I do think that that having them, you know, having all the kids in one room 
sleeping together with the peer pressure that Emily mentioned, that actually helps you deal with the transition at home quite a bit easier. So I actually consider it to be somewhat of a pro. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I I was lucky that my daughter didn't move up until she was 15 months um, because at our center, they basically moved them up anytime after they turn 13 months. And it just depends on when a space opens up. And for her, it was at 15 months is when they moved her up. And it was like the perfect time. I think she was ready to drop to one nap. Um, She was still taking two naps, but I was finding I was having to cap each nap and she was falling asleep later for each nap. So eventually I just threw up my hands. I'm like, screw it. One nap. We're done. We're just, (laughs) we're just doing it. And it's been great. So, yeah. So I think, you know, we could throw in here that 13 months, like Franny and Franny's and my girls, that's a little bit early to go to one nap. Um, And um, uh, 15 months, like my first and, and Emily's daughter, that's, you know, kind of a more standard time to transition to one nap. Um, but if the one nap is working for you on the slightly early side, then, you know, by all means, you should go for it. Because I think, I hope we'd all agree that actually total sleep matters somewhat more than, you know, the duration of a single nap, right? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right. So having handily dealt with that transition, let's talk a little bit about the logistics. <laughs> like, um, all right, pumping. Okay. What do we do when pumping, t- when daycare tells you that they need more milk and bigger bottles? Well, I, I think what I would say is first off, um, talk to your child care provider ahead of time, tell them how much you're going to send, how much your child regularly eats at home. And if you think that you're sending in enough, they say that for breastfed babies, you should send in about an ounce to an ounce and a half per hour you're apart. Um, So let's say you're at work for nine hours. That means you would need to send anywhere in from uh, nine to 13 and a half ounces. If you're sending in what you think is enough is in that range, I mean, I would say hold your ground. I would not kill yourself over trying to pump more supplement with formula if you hadn't been in the past. Um, I think more and more child care centers are becoming more aware of how to feed breastfed babies, but there's still a lot that aren't really prepared for it. And um, having the conversation ahead of time definitely helps. Yeah. And there's resources out there about, you know, when Emily says how to feed a breastfed baby, there's definitely resources about making sure the, um, you know, you're not sort of turning the bottle completely upside down. So the milk is like gushing into their mouth. You know, you have to sort of make them work as hard at the bottle as they would at the breast, Um, you know, taking uh, breaks every ounce or two to stop and have them burp and whatnot. So I think, you know, I don't know if we have anything specific that we can point listeners to, but there's definitely um, information out there about how to ensure that the childcare providers are are sort of bottle feeding in the correct way. So they're not overfeeding those infants. Oh, you make a really yeah. good point there because uh, so we will on a later podcast, you know, go over all the pumping and, and breastfeeding kind of scenarios, but, and, and logistics, but here, you know, I'd like to just concentrate on how to interact with, you know, the childcare mm-hmm. worker on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Franny, you make a really good point, you know, providing them with that information. The the nipple flow is a big thing. So how much you produce and how much your child consumes is is something that's going to vary with age. But you want to make sure that, you know, in the first 
three months that you're providing the nipple that is the one, you know, the one that has one puncture in it. That's the low flow one um, for zero to three month nipple. And then, you know, if they can, uh, if they're getting more than after that time, then give them the one with the two dots in it and then the three dots, the one that's appropriate to their age. And, you know, if they're older and they're just chugging their milk and wanting more, you have a couple of options. You can switch back to a slower flow bottle and it might be frustrating to them, but you know, there it is. And then after <laughs> six months, you know, they're starting to eat food. Then you tell, you know, tell the uh, childcare worker, tell the, the place that you should, they, they, they can offer the baby food instead of offering them milk every time that they seem hungry. Emily, I felt like yeah. you were about to say something. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, I've always been told by lactation mm. consultants that I've talked with that breastfed babies should really always use the um, the slowest flow nipple just because, you know, your boobs don't change in flow. Um, so that the nipple really should stay at the slowest unless your kid is like absolutely freaking out. I know with my daughter, she was a bottle refuser to start. So one way we got over that was to start with a faster flow nipple. And then once she started taking it, we switched to the slowest and she used that until she stopped using bottles around a year old. Oh, yeah, um, that totally so, makes sense. Yep. Because there yeah, are those babies so, who just, you know, it's too hard to get it from the bottle because actually yeah. the nipples got more than one hole in it. Yeah. So, um, so I would say that when you're looking for information to give your childcare provider, a good search term to use is paste bottle feeding is what they call it. Um, there are instructions that you can send them links to. You can print out uh, information sheets. And it's basically what Franny described about slowing down the bottle feeding experience. Um, but yeah, so I would just say having as much of a conversation with your child care provider as you can is the most important, important part. And don't feel pressured to do anything that you don't feel is appropriate. If you feel that your child's getting enough, if you feel that their weight gain is good enough, if your pediatrician isn't concerned, then that should really be the end of the conversation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those things. I mean, it, the frustrations that I faced early on, you know, six and a half years ago now when my first started was that, you know, I think I was the only person in a center with, you know, close to 20 babies that was sending in pumped milk. And, and the, the landscape has changed significantly now. I think a lot more people are sending in pumped milk. But, um, yeah. you know, at the time they were like, you know, thawing a, a bag of frozen milk and putting in a bottle and heating the whole thing up. And then whatever um, my son didn't drink, they would toss, you know, instead of refrigerating and, and warming it up again later. Or, um, and, and, and I should add that, you know, I, when I looked into the, all this stuff, I, I learned that, you know, your peak of milk production is at like five or six months and then it tapers off. And it's not coincidental yes. that your child is starting food at that same time. Exactly. And I know people are really, really concerned about giving water to babies and absolutely, you know, don't give kids less than, you know, a few months old bottles of straight up water. But after six months of age, they actually need to start learning to drink a little bit of water. And their fluid doesn't have to be 100% milk. So, you know, if you say to the, to the um, daycare center, you know, look, like if you run out of milk and he seems thirsty, you know, offer some milk or I know people really hate it. I'm going to... Um, 
<clears throat> hopefully not get too many negative comments on this, but, you know, let's say you've just pumped a four ounce bottle. There's absolutely nothing wrong with putting an ounce of water in there. You know, I'm not saying dilute your milk completely, but if your daycare center is like, no, we absolutely just want to feed them milk and no water, we have a strict no water policy, then, you know, you can take it upon yourself to put a little bit of water into your bottle of pumped milk to make it stretch a little bit. The only other thing I want to say about this, too, is that, um, you know, I know when I went back to work just a couple of weeks ago, my daughter was 12 weeks old. And the question of, well, how much milk am I supposed to send? Because I've only ever breastfed her. I've never given her a bottle. I don't I think she had taken like one bottle the whole time I was on maternity leave or maybe two just so that you know, we knew she could take a bottle and there is going to be a little bit of trial and error at the beginning. You know, I think I sent a couple of three ounce bottles and then, you know, she was consistently hungry. And my kid, even though she's like, was 10% of her weight at the last checkup, she um, was hungry and now has consistently been drinking four, four ounce bottles in the, you know, the 10 hours that I'm away from her. So, um, you know, there is going to be a little bit of trial and error at the beginning and that's okay. Cause some kids really only need to, and some kids like mine, she actually, you know, it doesn't matter how much we pace the feedings or what kind of flow nipple we use. Like she needs to take four ounces when she's, when she's having a full meal. So, um, you know, there's, yeah. there's going to be a little bit of guesswork there as well. Yeah, it, it's amazing how different kids are because, Franny, you said, you know, uh, your daughter is, um, you know, 10th percentile and drinks that much versus my daughter has always consistently been, you know, 75th percentile and <laughs> 90th for height. And she's she's quite large, but she only ever took um, 11 to 12 ounces while I was gone. And mm. her growth was always fantastic. So it's right. just, it's amazing how differently kids uh, process their intake. So, so yeah, definitely trial and error. You know, don't be afraid to, uh, to mix it up a bit. They're going to be okay if they don't get, you know, an ounce or two a day. It'll be fine. You know, I think you guys are, are posing the perfect transition into these feeding issues at daycare as well. But before we go there, I wanted to mention this thing, this uh, phenomenon. You guys have heard of reverse cycling. Mm, have you heard of yeah. that? And these are babies like <laughs> oh, yeah. one of my I'm nieces kind of living like it this. right now. <laughs> like babies who refuse to eat at daycare and then want to nurse all night long. So how yeah, do you deal with I, it? You're living with uh, it right uh, now. How do you deal with it? Well, I actually I shouldn't say I'm living with it because the the funny thing about about having such a young baby in daycare is that you know, I went back to work and now she's waking up every two hours. So I will be the first person to say I'm a precious little sleep admin who's suffering through the worst sleep problems imaginable at the moment. Um, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is that we, she's hungry in the middle of the night and the whole time I was on maternity leave, she was either sleeping through the night. I can say that out loud now that she's not anymore, or she was waking up once a night to feed. And, um, it's been so hard that we've had somebody come to help. We've had a baby nurse come to help once, um, once a week. And she drank, she came last night and the baby drank seven ounces overnight last night. She woke up for two feedings and she drank seven ounces in two different feedings. In addition to the 16 ounces she drinks at daycare and the nursing session that she has before she goes to sleep. And this is a kid whose doctor is worried about her weight gain. So it's like, you know, I think there's still a lot of things that are up in the air when it comes to these, um, you know, if it's reverse cycling, whether eating less during the day and more at night, or if for some reason when they go to daycare, they are eating a lot during the day, but then they're also eating a lot at night. That, you know, it's just sort of hard to tell sort of one thing from another um, when you have a baby who all of a sudden is waking up to nurse all night to tell exactly what's going on. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say, so when I first went back to work, my daughter, uh, was a bottle refuser, like I mentioned earlier. And the first day I was gone, I think she took two ounces. <laughs> and I remember, yeah, I remember breaking down crying at work, just thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to quit because she's not going to take a bottle. And I was just panicking. Um, but uh, she slowly got better and it only took really three days. And she each day took a little bit more, a little bit more. And then from then on, she was fine. Um, I thankfully never dealt with reverse cycling. I mean, we did have our sleep problems, but when I first went back, she, um, I mean, she definitely was excited to see me in the evening and we definitely cluster fed and nursed a lot in the evenings. And I think I did that intentionally. That was me kind of, um, that was my tactic to deal with it. When I got home, I would feed her pretty much every hour on the hour, um, in the evening just to kind of get all those nursing sessions in just to try to, uh, um, hopefully offset any wake-ups at night. And and it worked pretty well. I mean, she didn't reverse cycle um, and then later started waking up, but that was unrelated to me going back to work and yeah, that's, general, general sleep issues. That's what I was going to recommend too, is this cluster feeding. So, you know, if your baby just spent the whole day at daycare and didn't drink much, then, you know, you should just sit down, take a rocking chair and sit down and nurse them as soon as you arrive. And then, you know, maybe they fall asleep in the car on the way home. That's something we talked about in the last episode. Um, but you get home and then, you know, feed them again, um, you know, an hour or maybe a little more than an hour later, as, as Emily recommended, and then nurse them again just before bedtime so that you know, you know, they've, they've kind of filled up by the end of the day. And hopefully you can... Um, avoid that reverse cycling <laughs> then at that point. But hopefully, the keyword her. being hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the keyword being hopefully. Right. Keyword being don't be like me. And, and, well, and in all yeah. cases, though, I mean, try not to worry. Like, you know, Franny, you mentioned your, your daughter's 10th percentile. My daughter was third percentile. And uh. I mean, I obsessed about food forever, you know, and I finally settled on this notion that, you know, unless there's a honest to goodness medical issue involved, like babies are going to take in the amount of calories they right. need. They're incredibly good at self-regulating. So I think this is a good segue then into our, our next uh, short topic, which is, you know, babies who refuse to eat, eat at daycare. Um, and then in terms of both the milk, which we already kind of talked about, but finger foods too, um, you know, what kind of food are they eating? And, and I'll just start off by saying that my daughter never ate baby food, like not a spoon of it in her entire life. To this day, she doesn't, you know, refuses to eat yogurt. And I think it's a texture thing. She just didn't, never wanted mushy foods. So we were kind of forced into this baby led weaning thing. Um, even though, I mean, she wasn't eating much solids either, but she was, you know, tanking up on, on milk all the time. Um, so I kind of, you know, settled into this comfort zone of she's going to eat the amount that she's going to eat. You know, we had a feeding expert come in actually and work with us and who said, you know, she's got, you know, she's physiologically capable of eating, you know, she's just not that interested in it and doesn't need it yet. You know, and that, that kind of um, comforted me for a while. Um, but did either of you have experiences where your baby was like not that interested in food at daycare? 
Um, oh. My daughter was older when she started daycare, so she was already well established, thankfully. So we actually, um, she ate better at daycare, mostly because I think uh, she likes to test my patients a lot more than she is uh, interested in testing others. So um, I thankfully didn't deal with that. Franny, did you? Yeah, no, I didn't either. And um, it's sort of the opposite where she was so young when she started daycare, she learned how to eat solids while she was there, which I think also was helpful. So it sort of felt like a no-lose situation in terms of my experience and Emily's experience. But um, I think the peer pressure thing also has a lot to do with it. There were two really nice things that worked for us with her in solids. Number one, again, was even when she was six or seven months old, she's sitting down and all the other kids are sitting around the kitchen table um, to eat. And it's it was a social experience for her, which I think helped her to be a little bit adventurous um, with her eating. But the other thing was... I'm not a very creative or um, varied cook in the things that I've sort of offered to her. And so I think it was nice for her to, when she was at daycare at this in-home daycare, to be offered such a wide variety of foods. You know, they have this menu, they offer her something different every day. Um, and she had an opportunity to really taste, you know, even if it was mac and cheese or something that I wouldn't necessarily make because I was always like pushing vegetables and <laughs> purees and like healthy foods on her. But, you know, she was seeing these other kids eat these foods. And so she was tasting them if it was broccoli, if it was whatever. Um, and so I think it was, it was a nice balance because she had me, the mom with the boring food at home. And then she had all of her friends who were sitting around eating completely different meals every single time she went to, to school when she was at daycare. So Franny, you actually, you touched upon what I think a lot of people would consider to be a, a pro of daycare. And, and I agree, which is, you know, you're in this social setting that other kids are doing these things around you and there's this kind of peer pressure. So they're eating, you know, you see them eating and you think to you, well, I'm saying as a baby, right? Pretend you're a baby, <laughs> you know, the baby next to you is eating. So, so you think, oh, hey, I'll try that too. Oh, why not? But um, yeah, no, and there's definitely yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say for me, you know, there was a bit of a con there in the sense that when my son started, um, I don't think the whole you know, kind of mindset of healthy child eating had visited our neck of the world yet. You know, in a, we're in a small city in in Alaska, and and so. I ugh, when I saw the menu and the things that the kids were being offered to eat on a daily basis, like me coming from, you know, I was raised with very healthy living and kind of <laughs> all my friends are are in that category too. And I just, you know, I remember where one day I came in and um their snack in the afternoon was bread pudding and ice cream. And I thought, oh, like, God. It's just, horrifying. you know, double up that the sugar amazing. here. You know, it sounds Jeez. amazing to a grown up, maybe, although actually it sounds even <laughs> too much to me. But, you know, and, and lunches were your, you know, typical, just kind of like maybe there are some mushy green beans there and, and something like a, um, sloppy joe, you know, something like that. It, <gasps> it wasn't what I'd considered balanced meals. So in some ways, I felt like my my kids, when I got them home and was trying to give them these healthy foods, you know, they were not really digging it because they their palate was growing accustomed to what mm -hmm. they were getting at daycare. Yeah. Um, but that being said, when they were infants anyway, um, the center, you know, encouraged me in, in sending in my own food. So, you know, they weren't getting the jarred, um, the, the jarred stuff, which the daycare center provided, which is, you know... Uh, you know, obvious, uh, you know, honestly, no judgment there. If you don't have time to make purees, don't make purees. And, and if your center provides it, that's great. But I found, you know, I just would, 
you know, steam up a bunch of veggies and fruits and put them in the, you know, immersion blender and freeze these ice cube trays and, and send it in. And they were more than happy to deal with that with me um, and serve the food that I was making. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily, with my first, I didn't have an issue with refusal. With my second, she didn't eat at daycare, but she wasn't eating at home either. So it was like, mm. you know, it was okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, so if you're, the, you know, the point too, someone raised on the, um, we've got this Facebook group as well. And someone raised the point about daycare that, you know, often they're unfamiliar with baby led weaning. And I would say, you know, it has this fancy name, baby led weaning, but really what it is is yep. offering your baby some <laughs> chunks of solid food. So just right. tell the daycare provider, you know, what I this is what I'd like you to give them, or you know, can you just give them some crackers or something to munch on, you know, and not just spoon feed them purees, and and they'll work with you within their totally, capacity, yeah. you know. Well, and again, and I know I keep coming back to like how awesome this, our first daycare was, but the other advantage of having eight kids who ranged from four months to four years old, there's only eight kids, but there was, you know, this wide range of ages is that almost everybody else that was having lunch there was eating normal table food. And so they always were offering her little bites of broccoli or again, little bites of pasta, or they'd even, you know, they have like tacos on Wednesdays and they would offer her little like spoons of the seasoned ground beef, you know, whatever they were eating, they would offer her because why not? And, um, and I think that was a really sort of nice experience for her too, because they, you know, I made my baby food when she was home. It's not until you just said it, did it ever occur to me to send her (laughs) with baby food, um, instead of the jars. Cause like, you know, whatever, I thought the jars were fine, but you know, when she, they were giving her the jars of food, but then when they had table food that was age appropriate for her, they would just give it to her and she would eat it. And that's great. So I totally appreciate the point that like baby led weeding sounds like this fancy approach, but really it just means you eat food like a normal person and (laughs) you know if they could pick it up great if not whatever you know one thing that I found um at our daycare center was that you know they they were just they would feed the kids you know the 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 Gerber bottled stuff and which is fine like I said but um you know one of my friends whose kid went there she was saying you know oh he's having these reactions to the foods they're giving him and and I was at the time following um there's there's this amazing website whose name skips my mind right now, but we'll put it on the um, if Alexis allows us, we'll put it on her blog. Um, and they have this really great both detailed de- descriptions of what foods to introduce when and why yes. to avoid introducing certain foods at certain ages. And you know, one of them is strawberries. You think of it as this benign yes. thing, but they don't start those till later for specific reasons. And, you know, you don't know in that jar of baby food that there's, you know, a a strawberry in with the apples or something like that. And her son was having an allergic reaction to it. Mm. And so I just printed out for them. There was a simple chart on, you know, what foods you can give to babies at what ages. And they were really grateful to me for it, you know, and they they posted it um, on the wall in their kitchen. So, you know, again, it's one of those instances where you just have that open conversation with your daycare provider. They're always happy to work with you, I found. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So to circle back to the idea of peer pressure um, and that some kids will eat better at daycare, I will say that my daughter would never eat fresh fruit at home. She would eat it pureed, but that was about it. If I gave her like a chunk of banana or a chunk of apple, she would just look at me like I had put uh, 
something rotting in front of her. Um, at daycare, they offer her uh, fresh fruit in the morning for their morning snack. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, she will eat bananas every day. She will eat apples <laughs> every day. She will eat pears every day. So it's amazing what your child will eat for someone who is not mom. Oh, right? my kids, you know, when they went through preschool, I don't know how they give them raw cauliflower and they come home saying, I didn't know I like cauliflower, but I love it. I'm like... Here, have some cauliflower. I was going to say that has not <laughs> happened yet in my experience, but and I will. They won't necessarily eat it at home. <laughs> but, it, you know, they come back from preschool repeating those things they learned about healthy growing food. And I'm like, yeah, it's all, you know, it's all broccoli and carrots. It's not, you know, when you when you get home, they're going to maybe refuse. But it's great to have that, like you both said. That exposure, at least. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so we're already at 35 minutes and I still I want to touch on the getting yourself out the door in the morning. And <sighs> Franny, I'm going to talk ask you first because you are sort of like a paragon for me. I mean, I from what I understand you get up at 5 and you exercise on her. Well, okay. So here's going to this is going to burst your bubble about me being a paragon <laughs> because you know how I do that. I don't do it. I'm not home in the mornings. So my husband and I have alternate schedules. So he has the mornings and I get out of I get to work early and leave early and he gets to work later and leaves later. So that's how, A, how I'm able to exercise in the morning because I'm out the door at five and the kids are both still asleep sometimes. And then he's the one who's now charged with getting two kids <laughs> up and dressed and fed and out the door to daycare. So I could tell you some of the tips and tricks that he has used. However, it's um, I can't take any of the credit for that because then I leave work early. I pick them both up and take them home and cook dinner and all that stuff. Well, so I mean, I this is actually something I have no experience <laughs> with. Personally. I think it's actually because amazing that despite the fact that you're not there, you you know what he does. Um, that yeah. you're having that conversation. That's great. Yeah. Well, we're in pretty much constant touch in the morning, especially now that he's adjusting to having the baby and our older daughter. And, you know, we, we try to sort of just help each other in terms of, you know, I will admit, obviously there's some screen time that's involved because I think it's impossible to get two kids out the door um, without at least a little bit, but you know, he, he's got his, he wakes up super early. He's usually up with me at five or five 30. He does his own, you know, routine. He sometimes will shower before either of them wakes up. Yeah. Um, I have know, to put, say that now I know the trick cause I never really thought of that. I like our mornings yeah. are incredibly unpleasant, but we never have a screen on in the morning. Maybe yeah. We well, I mean, so he, he, I have to give him credit that that's like, it's actually very rare that he does that, but it was, it used to be before he would let my daughter watch a little like 10 minutes while he was taking a shower, but now that he showers before they're up, then that usually cuts that out. But, you know, I put my baby, the baby goes to bed in the clothes she's going to wear the next day so that he can like get the toddler up and dressed and then give her breakfast. And then the baby gets up and all he does is like changes the baby's diaper and gives her a bottle while my older daughter is sort of putting on her jacket and her shoes and throws them both in the car and they're at school by eight. So <laughs> we try to just, wow. you know, I pack their daycare bags the night before I pack their lunches. Like everything is just literally sitting in a bag ready to go the night before. And half the time, you know, they're in their clothes or sleeping in their clothes. You know, so they I just think have that's key. Honestly, whatever you can do the night before, do it. I mm -hmm. mean, including Definitely. showering. I know some people don't like to shower at night, but get your shower done at night. I do then, that. Yeah, me too. You often. Yeah. Not always. I also yeah, only I, shower like three times a week. So, 
Yeah. I have to shower every day. Otherwise, it's just not a pretty picture. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, I will definitely say if you can do do whatever you can the night before. So I shower the night before. I get my clothes out the night before. We pack her bags the night before. Mm-hmm. My my husband is great and he always does her um he always washes all her her stuff from daycare and he packs her lunch every night and gets that set aside. So I would say that if you can divide as much between you and your spouse as possible. So I do the majority of uh, drop off and pick up just because I have the more flexible schedule. So because of that, he kind of takes charge of doing the dishes at night, getting her daycare mm-hmm. stuff packed. So that takes that off me. So I'm able to, if, if I can actually get my button gear, uh, go to bed a little earlier. Um, so I would say that in the mornings, I just basically roll out of bed, throw clothes on, brush my hair, and uh, hope that I can get everything done before my daughter wakes up. Um, because I think we all know that if you if you get up early planning to, oh, maybe I'll do my hair this morning. Mm-hmm. If you get up early without fail, your child is going to wake up half an hour early, super cranky. <laughs> yeah, that was always my scenario is that, you know, like, our our house transmits sound really easily and even though to this day we still use the sound machine um it's you know they've been sleeping the whole night long and it's like they are re- they're poised and ready to wake up and they hear something and my kids would always wake up if i got up so i kind of got up with them you know plus it's kind of painful to get up before your kids i have to say for me yeah. it is and uh, it's super yeah. dark in the winter it's horrible but um it's awful <laughs> Uh, they're like the things that do it every day, but it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, uh, you know, nursing, if you have an infant at home, nursing them in the morning kind of yes. takes a little while, you know, you just have to plan for that. And, um, you know, I'd say like my kids, I don't know, they, they don't eat much dinner, but when they wake up in the morning, they're like, they cannot leave the house without breakfast. So even if somebody invites us to breakfast, we have to like have breakfast at home and then, you know pretend to have breakfast at their house but anyway (laughs) they like that I think kids do that they stay they prefer like one meal of the day and for mine it's Uh. breakfast but we would have to eat before but but um daycare centers often provide you know all of the meals so um if your child yeah. is older than six months or a year, you know, just have them eat the food as soon as they arrive. That's something you can cut out of your morning or nursing too. You know, if, if it's a really tight schedule and you get yourself up early and dressed, then, you know, just buckle them in the car and nurse them when you arrive at daycare. Yeah. That's an option yeah. as well. That, that's actually another advantage to me not being there in the mornings is um, I'll leave a bottle for my husband and if um, my, the baby wakes up close enough to the time when they have to go, he'll actually just bring the bottle with him and give it to the daycare providers and they'll give her the bottle. So she can wait 15 minutes between the time she wakes up, you know, she wakes up, he changes her diaper and he throws her in the car. That's literally all he has to do. And then she will have her first bottle right when she arrives at school. So literally anything we can do to streamline the process um, to make it easier, <laughs> we do it. And yeah, I I will go ahead, Emily. Sorry. I was just going to say that, you know, as your child gets older, um, when mine was in the infant room, they fed her breakfast while she was there. Um, but now that she's in the toddler room, they say, you know, we don't serve breakfast. Your child will have to eat before you, um, bring them in. So now I've got the, uh, hour long mornings, morning, uh, routine with my daughter because she, she's a year and a half old, but she still nurses in the morning. So we do that and then we have to change her diaper and then we have to get dressed and then we have to eat breakfast and then we have to put on our shoes and then we have to put on our jacket. Then we have to put our shoes back on. Then we have to, uh, it's just 
it takes about an hour flat to get out to the car with a toddler. So um, definitely anything you can do for yourself the night before is going to make your mornings a whole lot easier. Put bags by the door so you don't mm-hmm. forget them. I so many times, even this week, I'm still forgetting my computer bag. I'm getting to work and then having to turn around, go home, get my computer. And uh, so anything you can do to make it uh, idiot proof in the morning is going to set you up for success because it's gotten <laughs> when you're I was going to say mo- it, yeah it's gotten to the point where now I'm so frazzled with these two kids and one of them's not sleeping you know and at night I'm like packing lunches and I put out my toddler's outfits again to make this idiot proof for my husband in the morning and I've started actually putting the bags into my car like I've got my gym bag and my pumping bag and my computer yeah. and half the time my lunch and my purse and I We'll put it in the car. So at yes. five in the morning, when I roll out of bed on like an hour of sleep to go to work, I just have to put on clothes if I can remember to do that and then drive away. <laughs> like yes. That's it. So yeah. we're all about it. We're just, you, know, you know, it's efficiency. And for, I have to, I have to say that it doesn't get any easier not to like discourage no. people out there, but you know, and I've got two kids now they're six and a half and four and one's in preschool and one's in school. And it's like, it still takes an hour, Yeah, but the fights are a little bit different, you know, like, I can't get dressed before breakfast because I my pajamas are more comfortable. You know, like right. I don't want to eat in my clothes. I want to wear my Elsa costume to school today. <laughs> Put on clothes. It's twenty degrees outside, right? Or it's minus twenty degrees outside. Right, right. You're in Alaska. I can't complain about. You know, that. actually, the crazy thing is, like, they heat the um the schools are so freaking hot that my son still wears t-shirts to school, and then he's got this big snowsuit, you know, that he puts on. But yeah. Yeah, then you've got like this the snow you have to get the snowsuit with the boots and hats and the mittens and all that stuff on just to get into your car, you know. But yeah, it still <laughs> takes an hour and there's still these struggles like getting your kids dressed. But so as much as you can do the night before, definitely do the night before. As much as you can kind of pawn off on, you know, the the school, whatever child care facility it is, then do that as well, you know, when it comes to meals and such. Um, and lower your expectations. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I love your idea, Franny. You're saying, you know, <laughs> she's going to wear to school what she spent the night in. Of course, because she's a baby. Like, you don't yeah. need to put, yeah. you know, the jeggings with the jeweled shirt on. <laughs> exactly. You know, she's and like the bow in her hair. <laughs> So, She'll either yeah. sleep in her clothes or go to school in her pajamas, and they're both fine. I felt <laughs> like, totally. you know, I felt like footy pajamas. What was my age cut off? Was something like a year and a half? Was kind of like no, Melissa and I, the other admin, Melissa and I, always talk about this. What's the age cut off for footy pajamas? And she says two at at the at the youngest. Like <laughs> you're still allowed to wear footy pajamas out of the house. So <laughs> I, I'm going to stand by that. I I've got another year and three quarters to go. Wear footy pajamas herself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, guys, we managed to talk our, each other's ears off and the listeners for 45 minutes here. We did not get to talk about the pros of daycare or some of the, you know, kind of myths of, you know, long-term effects of daycare. But, you know, maybe we'll come back in a future sort of just chatty episode and, and talk about those things. But I, I feel like we sprinkled some pros um, in there. We didn't Definitely. get to talk about illnesses, um, but we, you know, we can do that, I think, in a, in a future podcast. So um, I think it's it'll be time to sign off here with just a, a quick summary on what we talked about, which is um, the transition to one nap, um, pumping and, and, and how to 
you know, meet the the daycare needs. And, and like we have in, in the past two episodes, you know, really emphasizing that communication with your daycare providers, I think is really important. You know, just the, the way that you would, you know, try to convince someone to, um, to help you out. You know, I think they're poised and willing to help out as, as much as they can. Um, and then, you know, some of the logistics, like with, with feeding and, and, uh, uh, baby led weaning and how to get yourself ready in the morning. So with that, I'd like to thank Emily and Franny for joining me today. And thanks thank for you listening. Guys. Yes, Precious thank you. Sleep.